Dr. Amalia Gonyas Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us on the line today is the Minister of Gender and Children's Affairs of Sierra Leone, Manti Tarawali. Welcome to the show, Minister. Thank you for having me, Dr. Amalia. Minister, to begin with, please, can you talk us through a few of the milestones in your career? I grew up in a family where uh, um, sort of first-hand saw service to country. Um, My father was a military general and my mother a banker. And she set up the first uh, um, Army Wives Cooperative Society in Sierra Leone. So the Cooperative Society... um, was really known for many social programs for military families. And within Sierra Leone and externally, it was strongly appreciated um, as a a cooperative society. So service was, you know, sort of something I grew up with and it was um, second nature to me. I studied project management at uh, Salford Business School and University of Salford in the UK. And I began my working life in the UK. I sort of fell into development during the UK regeneration boom in the 90s. And my real sort of turning point came when I became the director of operations for the London Development Agency. It was during this time that um, the tug and pull to return to Sierra Leone began. You know, um, things were changing around the world. And I felt this talk that it was time, you know, to go back and get into service. And I eventually returned to Sierra Leone in 20, in 2008. And um, I became the contributor of Mary Stokes and, uh, and focused on reducing maternal deaths across the country through sort of uh, um, increasing update of family planning and then other innovative service delivery approaches. So the job of Mary Stubbs across the country, I saw the reality of my country firsthand and um, the desire you know, to get involved, which I grew up with, then started to alarm. And that, you know, sort of was the, the beginning or the real time, I would say, that I accepted that to enable real change, I needed to be part of governance. And that's when I made the switch. That aspect of being able to serve country is, as you say, having that, that tug to come back and, and make the difference is, is really a, a strong driving force. Thinking towards female leadership, we believe in, in this show that the building female leadership capacity is vital for the future of women across the continent and, and indeed around the world. 
But we've had relatively few female presidents, Malawi, Liberia, Mauritius, and Ethiopia, to name just four examples. How do you see female leadership from a Sierra Leone perspective? Um, there is a popular belief that women don't support other women. I must say really honestly, that has not been my experience. Women have thrown their support my way in real sort of overwhelming overwhelming support, overwhelming numbers. My largest and uh, sort of strongest support base are women and young people. And um, women across Africa are now recognizing that power, the power we have in our numbers, and also in our diverse talents. Um, this COVID-19 pandemic has also highlighted both the centrality of our contributions and this disproportionate burdens that um, women carry. Um, across the world now, women have demonstrated their skills we are seeing a lot of that. Women, you know, sort of um, are showing their skills, knowledge, and using their networks to effectively manage their homes, especially during this COVID and also, you know, sort of um, emergencies before that, like Ebola. And so there is now growing acceptance across the globe. I think more so than ever before that women bring different experiences, perspectives, and skills to the table and make, you know, um, irreplaceable contributions to decision, policies, and laws that work better for all. We're seeing this across Africa, and um, we are seeing a readiness. The youth woke up to their power and demanded recognition and got it. Now it's the women. We are waking up to that reality too. And we are recognizing ourselves and consolidating our voices. And we're demanding, you know, sort of change. We're demonstrating maturity and we're showing preparedness. Whether it is to increase participation in governance or the leadership itself or enabling equality in the distribution of resources, women are demanding that rightful position I think now more than ever. So I don't think, it, you know, it will be long, you know, for us to see, you know, sort of more women in leadership. I'm glad that you have highlighted various examples and seeing the momentum and the energy that is helping to propel women forward in terms of leadership roles. How do you think we can sustain it so that we don't get to a point where we start regressing? That's a, a really very good question. Um, my job as Minister of Gender and Children's Affairs is to address the socially constructed differences between men and women to make for a more equal society. Um, women in Sierra Leone make up almost 52 of the population. 
And while, you know, sort of Sierra Leone has made significant gains in sort of the emancipation of women in sort of different spheres, social, political, economical, any economic and um, cultural fields, women still have sort of fewer opportunities for economic participation than men. And so with that sort of situation, it greatly limits our efforts as a nation to achieve our sustainable development goals. So as a government, we pride ourselves in the full and effective empowerment of women through sort of our national strategy, human capital development agenda. And um, this is articulated uh, in a sort of a social contract with our people, which is our medium-term national development plan. And also, it's also included in our party, you know, sort of manifesto. So the plan denotes a roadmap for the promotion of, of gender equality and the empowerment of women through the strengthening of legal and policy frameworks on gender equality and women's empowerment. So because of this commitment, and uh, um, which links into, you know, sort of us not, you know, um, going backwards and moving forward. My ministry was created in uh, um, 2019 as a standalone entity. Prior to 2019, it was merged with the Ministry of Social Welfare. And since the split, we have made significant strides towards equality and empowerment of women. Um, quite recently, um, just uh, you know, sort of a few weeks ago, um, last year, December, we developed the Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment Policy, which was launched by our president. And this year, the implementation of that will start. And uh, um, that would be sort of the one of the key sort of uh, milestones of, of ensuring that we don't go backwards. That's a, a fantastic initiative and wonderful that you were able to split the department out so that it has got its focus and that you have now been able to evolve a policy which really goes for driving forward gender equality and uh, and, and women's empowerment through that policy. How do you see implementation though? And I, I ask this question because from a South African perspective, we are renowned for developing policy, but unfortunately, we are not so great when it comes to implementing everything. So how do you anticipate implementation of your policy going forwards in the country? That's a very good question. And it is something that is spoken about here you know, sort of, uh, on a daily basis about implementation of policies that we're good at, you know, sort of uh, um, intellectually putting the policies together but not implementing. But I say this, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And as a country, we are very far from where we want to be but we're definitely, you know, sort of uh, um, not where we were sort of five or ten years ago. When we talk about uh, um, gender equality, no country in the world has it. Uh, um, but now in Syria, we have the Giri policy. We have the gender equality policy. And um, we didn't have that before. The policy speaks to a minimum of 30% women's political representation. It talks about gender budgeting across government institutions and also the creation of an economic empowerment fund 
for women entrepreneurs. This year, while I will be implementing um, you know, sort of one of the key things that we have already done is to recruit uh, um, gender experts that will be um, sort of uh, um, put into ministries and, uh, and agencies to see sort of gender mainstreaming to lead that within um, sort of those ministries and to ensure that the Ministry of Finance will ensure gender budgeting and um, what will be different um, sort of than, you know, so maybe other implementations would be that all of the gender staff will report to one ministry and so we'll have control over that. But also another key thing, um, this year I will be, whilst leading that implementation, I will also be leading the process of turning policy into law so that it becomes actual law to safeguard these protection measures. Thanks for elaborating on how you're going to take it forwards this year. There's certainly a lot of work, but as you say, a journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step and you've made a very strong, deliberate first step. Minister, one of the other things that our our learnings have unpacked and, and revealed is that often from an African perspective, women are torn between adhering to tradition and cultural expectations of them as wives, as mothers, and yet in terms of their own personal right, own personal development of being able to attain an academic education or to pursue a career of their choice. So what would be your advice to women who are confronting this uh, tension in their life on or crossroads on what to do? It's a difficult one, and um, one that governments, I think, should help. You know, sort of, it, it really, you know, evaluate or, or change through um, sort of policies, strategies, and laws. I mean, in Sierra Leone, we have the free quality education, which is law, and also we have what we call the radical inclusion policy. And um, these, you know, speak to ensuring that every child be a boy or girl from whatever background and whichever part of the country goes to school free of charge. And also with the Gibi policy, part of the implementation would mean engaging communities, including men, to understand the value, the values actually, and, uh, and benefits to families and communities when women are educated and employed. I mean, we know that uh, men fear you know, being disrespected and losing power as the head of the household. So it makes it difficult for women and girls to choose that path. You know, even though that could be their desire, it's it's quite difficult because, you know, of the tradition and, you know, they see their fathers and their uncles and their brothers. We know that. And that's where the resistance comes from. And empowering women does not equate to disrespecting men. It's a myth that's clouded in fear. And, uh, um, People like myself, who come from environments where tradition hampers the development of women. And, you know, I am sort of the first, you know, cabinet minister from, you know, sort of my district and, and the district after my district. I make it a point of duty to encourage young women and their families. Um, mothers, fathers, men and women understand, truly get it, the penny drops. 
the economic and social benefits of having girls and women educated and there to pursue a career, the resistance drops. And the, the, the women and the girls are then free to, to correctly make the right choice for themselves. Yes, sometimes I think it's a case of people thinking that something is going to be taken away from them. So as you say, this yeah. view that men perhaps think that they're going to be disrespected, that their power is going to be mm-hmm. absolved. Mm-hmm. And if we could think about this in a different way of being able to apply almost a, an, an abundance thinking, that it's not a case of making the, the pie grow smaller and a woman taking something away from a man, but, but growing things together. Yeah. And as yeah. you say, education yeah. is an absolute yeah. equalizer. It levels the playing field and provides opportunity for development. Absolutely agree with you. Uh, um, I think that is the, is the, is the constant sort of a, um, uh, um, battle. I mean, I remember back in the day, you know, as a, as a young child, the understanding of feminism was that, okay, a woman's going to come in and she's basically going to uh, um, take everything away from uh, uh, the man. She's anti-man. She doesn't like a, a man and all that sort of thing. And um, that's obviously not the case. And that is a, a, a misrepresentation. So what we are doing and, and you know, sort of um, other countries as well is to carry men along. And to let them see, you know, as I spoke earlier, what the benefits are to them, their families and their communities. We are, you know, sort of really fortunate to have uh, um, a president that is a feminist, a proclaimed feminist. And so carrying men along and making sure that men get it and making sure that women also understand that it is not about disrespect. Uh, um, it is about, you know, sort of growing sort of communities, growing sort of uh, um, families. Um, that approach is, you know, sort of we're seeing sort of a lot of benefits, you know, to that. I mean, I go back even to my days as a country director at uh, Mary Stopes and uh, um, trying to get men to understand uh, um, the value of family planning. Um, there were, you, you know, sort of was initial sort of resistance. But once we've got men on board to understand that this is about the benefits to your community and family, we saw a difference. So I'm totally in agreement with you. It is not about taking power. It's about sharing. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to the Minister of Gender and Children's Affairs of Sierra Leone, Manti Tarawali. And we would love to hear your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. In the previous segment of the conversation, Minister Tarawali shared how her formative years led her to pursue a life of service and make a difference to the lives of people in Sierra Leone. 
To accelerate gender equality, we discuss the importance of demonstrating the benefits of gender equality to men, for them to better understand that an empowered woman does not mean a disempowered man. It means a better socio-economic community. We also consider the role of women in power, and Minister Tarawali described Sierra Leone's recently launched gender equality policy as a key milestone to ensure that gender equality doesn't regress in the country. Minister, towards the end of last year, we ran a, a series of, of interviews with women in the business world. And one of the things which struck me was some learnings which I believe came out of Australia or New Zealand, where they were looking at, again, you know, the, the problem that we all have in countries of trying to increase the, the ratio of women within organizations. So, for instance, you've said that in your policy, we're looking at 30% representation. And what, what they did in Australia was they established indexes for various corporations. And whatever the index measure was, that was the set, um, that was the set figure. And they said what helped increase and encourage more organizations to follow suit was that when these indices were published and when they were spoken about in the media, that made companies feel, well, I, I'm being called out here in public. And they said that the next time that the index was measured, so perhaps six months down the line, you saw that the companies who had underperformed had dramatically put efforts in place to increase their performance so that they appeared positively on the index. I mean, gender disparity is a universal one. I mean, in Sierra Leone, I mean, we're experiencing the sort of the same levels of injustice. I mean, the national adult literacy rate is 42%. And, uh, um, you know, for men, it is 51%. And for women, it's 34%. So straight away, you know, uh, um, women are on the back foot. And um, it creates an environment where the expectations of women are less than and that of men. And so without knowing, women, you know, sort of had settled into those confined, you know, those confinements. Um, but now things are changing. And uh, um, with technology, women in, you know, sort of in Sierra Leone have accepted, uh, you're exposed now um, because, uh, um, you know, they've seen what other women are also doing in other countries and across the world. And, um, and accordingly, they want that change. And um, what this Guinea policy will do is to hold people accountable um, because it will be law. And so as law, you will be, you know, sort of, you know, accountable. So my my role as minister is to ensure that I have the, the, the policies and the structures in place to make women ready so that uh, um, these sort of um, confinements that women have, you know, sort of found themselves in, you know, they can get out of it. They can get out of it, get the education that they need, get the skills that they need, because, you know, the the institutions, um, including government institutions, are going to be held accountable and responsible to ensure we have a minimum of 30% uh, in, in position. So we've got to be ready for, you know, when the door opens. And so that's you know, going to be, you know, sort of uh, um, key priorities for, for me as a minister.
you are truly opening the doors of opportunities because this is just going to increase opportunity within the political spectrum, opportunity within the private sector, as well as areas of of public. Because now that you put in a mandate of 30%, it means that women have now got an opportunity to to come into that space. So congratulations on being able to open those doors. Thank you. Minister, turning towards more of a personal perspective, one of the questions that I ask all my guests on the show who've really made tremendous achievements in their respective fields is about some of the factors that they consider have contributed to their success whether that is about perseverance, uh, a particular person in your life. Please, can you share with us a few of the key drivers to your success? Wow. Um, For me, uh, my ultimate and biggest driver in my life is Jesus Christ, hands down. Uh, um, But in, in addition to that, I was blessed, you know, to have a dynamic and strong mother. In fact, you know, I think I should go back to my grandmother, to my maternal grandmother. My grandmother was married to my grandfather, and she was the first woman, you know, sort of to drive a vehicle in the northern region of Sierra Leone. And, you know, even though my grandmother wasn't educated, when my grandfather decided that he wanted a second wife, my grandmother knew that that wasn't the life she wanted. And so she left and, uh, um, you know, she started life alone. At that time, she was strong and brave enough to face the, the, the country and say, OK, I am leaving to start my life you know, alone. My mother was a banker and a businesswoman. I saw firsthand what I now know to be feminism. I didn't know it was there. Um, my mother was independent. She made her own money. She built her own our houses. She contributed to the home. She served and respected my father as her husband. And jointly with my father, they raised us four children. She was the president of the Abbey Wives Cooperative Society. The institution, you know, became so successful that I saw growing up as a child, delegations coming from overseas to study the model. I saw a woman that wasn't dependent on her husband, but served him because she wanted to. I saw a woman that enjoyed the trappings of her man's status and life, but did not rely on it. You know, and both parents really insisted on education um, to surround, you know, sort of me in particular, you know, with educated women, dynamic women and independent women. So who I am today, I saw growing up as a child. You know, I remember when I came home on holiday from the UK and my my mother was building a house in her home time or hometown. And at the time, a woman building a house by herself was really unheard of. And my father said to me, your mother is a dynamic woman. I will never forget his face. He was so proud. And what that taught me 
was it was okay. It was okay to be me, to want success, to be successful, and to be different. And that has stayed with me sort of all these years. And how did you feel going to the UK for your education? How did you adjust and try to blend the two cultures? I I think, you know, um, for me, I know a lot of people struggle. But for me, I, I don't think I did too much because I am a strong character. And I think uh, um, I left with the foundation of knowing myself, even at a young age, and uh, um, knowing what I wanted for my life. So um, in the UK, uh, um, you know, sort of though, um, sort of my my areas of, of, of sort of study where I lived and the universities I went to were, you know, sort of not as diverse and the cultures were different. I functioned okay. I, you know, sort of, uh, I was all right. And I think also my faith was also something that um, kept me, you know, kept me strong. And I knew, you know, um, I had... Um, I, I, I had a foundation. I was coming from, you know, sort of a family that expected, you know, sort of me to do well. And I had taken on that. And it was, you know, sort of something that I wanted for myself too. You know, and I think that is something also that I bring to this job. You know, we've uh, um, developed a, um, a parenting strategy which really, you know, uh, um, talks, you know, speaks to intentional parenting. So, uh, you know, for we're going to be going out to communities and, and training parents on intentional parenting. And basically that's what, you know, I felt I received that made me to, you know, sort of uh, um, go through all the hurdles in the UK and was able to maintain my, my integrity and achieve, you know, so what, what I was there to achieve. And Minister, what would you say has had the biggest impact on you to make you the person you are today? Um, huh, biggest impact. I think, uh, um, again, starting again, I would say, you know, the fact that uh, I'm, I'm grounded in, in, in Christ that is a big thing for me, uh, um, but also, you know, my my background. Um, like I, I think I mentioned uh, earlier, I grew up, you know, seeing service firsthand. I grew up seeing a dynamic woman um, as a mother and um, came back and went into my communities and saw people like myself uh, um, wanting, you know, sort of unchained, uh, wanting to be helped, wanting, you know, sort of somebody to uh, um, give them a, you know, sort of a helping hand. And uh, um, that, you know, sort of uh, changed, you know, brought some, you know, sort of impacted my 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 drive on uh, um, sort of uh, um, the moves that I wanted to take in terms of impacting me to do well 
I think fundamentally my 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 parents fundamentally my 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 father and my mother um, you know what I saw at home what they gave to me as a child how I saw them navigate you know sort of a, a, a um, married life and stereotypes and uh, um, sort of the, the the implementation I would say of feminism I think you know yeah that fundamentally. Thank you for sharing those aspects of, of your life growing up and, and key influences in terms of how you were impacted. Lastly, as we close out our conversation today, please could you share a few words of inspiration or wisdom that you'd like to pass on to women who are listening to us on the continent? Um. I think, you know, to women around Africa, let us take a cue from the youth constituency across our continent. This is a big thing. They realize their importance, their power, and came together as a force speaking with one voice. They got the attention, they were listened to, and now they're getting what they want. They're getting people, you know, to have sleepless nights to uh, come up with solutions for them. It is now time for women to do the same. We need to come together like never before. We need to speak with one voice to get our governments to turn gender equality into law. That's the only way we're going to achieve gender equality by 2030. The policies that we pass are only our intentions. They don't hold anyone, you know, uh, um, accountable for not delivering. The only way we are going to get people to say, yes, I must do this, is when it is law. And to get that done, we need to consolidate and we need to speak with one voice. If we've seen it with youth, we can emulate that, copy that and do exactly the same. Thank you. That is a fantastic, energetic, passionate plea, Minister. And um, we wish you all the very, very best as you start rolling out your plans and cementing gender equality as law in Sierra Leone. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the Minister of Gender and Children's Affairs of Sierra Leone, Manti Tarawali.